Recording. Oh, here we go. Okay. Are we recording? We're recording. You pressed record. Where's <laughs> the engineer? <laughs> This is Deserter. The podcast that says don't. Give up. Uh, and that's why we think the punctuation is very important in that. And uh, certainly never volunteer. Indeed. What is a volunteer? Uh, is it someone who didn't understand the question? Quite. Uh, you find us today in our spiritual home, uh, the Shirkers Rest Micropub in uh, New Cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're recording in front of a live audience of 200 of our closest friends. <laughs> um, it says applause now. Okay, yeah. And thank you very much for coming down uh, to this, our first ever live recording of the podcast. It's bound to be a shambles, but at least you've got a pint. Yes. In today's episode, jazz, folk, and bears. Pub- I, thought that, I thought that was beers. Or beers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's bears, actually, because yeah. we've got pub news, bear news. Crisp news, drug news, and some other news which isn't about pubs, beer, crisps, or drugs. <laughs> uh, followed by readers' letters, bum dosser, and you know it, something we call the social media scene. That's such a cool phrase. It's a cool phrase, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, we can't do a pub quiz today because we've already fucked it. Um, which is a shame because I had a clue ready, which is I own it. <laughs> Um, yes, that's a little in-joke. He's done bugger all to help with this play. No, he's very How good. How dare you? He, um, <laughs> he advertises it by sitting outside on the rocking chair. Um, so, uh, what the fuck have we been up to? Well, we have been here uh, quite a lot, but we came here for the women's Euro final, didn't we? We did. Which was great fun. Um, a great achievement by the girls. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a joyous occasion here. Um Apart from when the TV went off downstairs, uh, and oh. uh, I happened to be down at the bar at the time, and uh, somebody said, uh, Vinny, the TV's gone, sort it out. I'm like, it's not my pub. <laughs> <laughs> See how quickly he turns. Yeah, I think I was streaming it from my phone that day. Um, but yeah, it was, was played in a beautiful spirit, I think, the Women's Euros finals, um, mostly, mm-hmm. uh, because my favourite bit was Jill Scott shouting, fuck off, you fucking pricks, <laughs> in the final. Uh, I love that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And it was interesting to con- contrast uh, that spirit with Return of the Men's Game, I thought, with all the accompanying wailing and gnashing and yeah. hand-wringing, quite literal hand-wringing in the case of Thomas Tuchel and Conte. Um, for those who didn't see it, yeah, uh, Thomas Tuchel got upset that Conte didn't look him in the eyes for a handshake. <laughs> this is the man's game. Honestly, I- <laughs> Quite. It made, it made me agree with Molly Goodfellow, who uh, noted that um, perhaps men are simply too emotional to play football. <laughs> um, so well done, the Lionesses, and a particular well done uh, from me to all of them wearing sunglasses the day after the final. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they looked like they enjoyed that. Um, what else? We did a book signing, didn't we? Because uh, we got a book coming out uh, September 1st. Yeah. And we had to go to our to our publishers. It was uh, quite gruelling. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, there were 300 books for us to sign. And they could see by our faces when we walked in, they were going to have trouble. But in the end, they just said to us, stop whining, start signing, and we'll give you one beer for every book you sign. Yeah, that was a surprise. Um, yeah, I mean, it made up for us not meeting in the pub like I expect a publisher to do, you know. Um, and I didn't know that that's what they did with writers. They just give you beer for book signing. If I'd known that, I'd have got into literature earlier. <laughs> uh, anyway, after they offered us that, um, we were quite quick with yeah. The signing. Yeah, yeah. It went very speedy. Mm. Um, Couldn't read it. It was like doctor's prescription. Wasn't yeah, it? we had a few giggles with a couple of them, didn't we? So, yeah, if you find one with, for example, property of Southwark Libraries written in it, <laughs> get in touch uh, for a prize. Uh, and then um, we went for some self-congratulatory pints at the Market Porter. Of course we did, yeah. Uh, I uh, have spent a few days down in Broadstairs at the Folk Festival. So you have, yeah. Yeah, um, 
I go most years, uh, pandemics allowing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I saw your sister down there. Oh and, yeah, yeah, uh, of course. No, your best mate and a couple of other people. They were like, "Where's Vinny?" And I was like, "He can't be bothered to come." Mm, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's the word folk. <laughs> um, Kinda. But uh, it's it's a wonderful uh, week long celebration, if you don't know it, of the uh, relationship between beer and folk music yeah uh, that's not quite how it's built to be fair <laughs> but that's what it is at least to me uh and you get the best of kent of course uh with amazing beers from the likes of iron pier and gads and mm. north down uh, but my favorite of the week came all the way from Morecambe, uh, cross bay brewery zenith ipa on cask in the chapel mm -hmm. i must buy i mentioned it to ben yeah yeah it's from here because that's his neck of the woods isn't it um, and it was a yeah, wonderful festival. Um, we smuggled in the synthesizer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Slater was there, you know, big, the big man. Uh, uh, I know, Slater, yeah. And I picked up his bag uh, on, on the first morning. Uh, I said, it was so heavy. I said, mate, what have you got in there? He said, I've got a synthesizer. I said, <laughs> <laughs> this is just rebelling against the folk, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I said, why, why are you bringing a synthesizer? You brought it all the way down from Liverpool, yeah, yeah. Why are you taking it to a folk festival? I promised it to someone last year who lives in Broadstairs. <laughs> I was like, you're taking a synthesizer to a folk festival. This could be trouble. <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, he carried it all the way there. And we were in the Tartar frigate, I think it was. That's mm -hmm. right, yeah, Tartar frigate. And um, it was literally a, you know, a quintessential folk band playing. He was, there was, was a guy with a washboard playing it with a thumb, <laughs> a thumble. Thimble, thimble. Why isn't a thimble called a thumble? <laughs> <laughs> and um, Mark threw his bag down like he does, you know, and uh, the synthesizer spilled out. And the whole pub went silent. <laughs> You're lucky to get out of <laughs> The landlord came over and said, uh, is that the synthesizer? <laughs> we were like, yeah. He said, I think you lads better leave. <laughs> no, he didn't really, but we did get some very stern tutting. Mm. The presence of a synthesizer at a yeah. folk festival, I wouldn't recommend it. Mm. Um, you've Good. been doing some music. Uh, yes, uh, well, yes, I've been to see Steam Down at the Matchstick Pie House, which is near here. Uh, I mean, people have been recommending it for ages, saying, you've got to go to Steam Down, it's amazing. And uh, I'm like, okay, what is it? You know, it's jazz. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a jazz collective. Like <laughs> yeah, all right. And what's, what's brilliant about it? Uh, well, they improvise everything. Uh, all right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but eventually, uh, my brother was going, and he, he, he convinced me to go. And um, it was jazz, and it was improv, but it was fucking incredible. And uh, so if, you're, if you can get to New Cross, Deptford, I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, you can have a pint here first. Uh, there's decent pints there, a decent price. And you will not regret it. They're fucking brilliant. Yeah, here first, yeah. We know there's a couple of fans in the audience. Actually, yeah. I must make it, make it down. I think me and Ian are going down next Wednesday. <laughs> Done. Um, and then uh, we also had a beer night right here, a deserted beer night with some beers that we've made with Southey Brewing from Penge. Um, thanks very much to them. Mm -hmm. So we had some dessert IPA back on cask, some Lazy Jesus on cask for the very first time in the universe. <laughs> And uh, it was great to see some familiar faces, including Ellie Lou, who, uh, if you remember, won the original Lazy Jesus Pump Clip Art competition. Yeah, it was uh, a cracker. It was a cracker. It was a picture of a very dazed-looking Jesus sparking up a massive spliff. Mm. <laughs> I can't imagine why Southey didn't go with it in the end uh, of a yeah. commercial release. Uh, although, as I remember, it did omit the actual name of the beer. <laughs> That's that very be Lazy Jesus, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it was nice. There were some uh, long-time listeners, uh, first-time caller guys who, uh, yeah, we'd obviously not met before. It's great to meet them. Yeah. Um, quite early on, I thought, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go home. And then um, one of the tables went over with our beers on. I had to have another pint. And then suddenly, I'm in. I'm never going home territory. <laughs> oh, uh, you crossed the Rubicon. Yeah, across. Yeah, love that Rubicon. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Ellie Lou has got a couple of pictures up here now, hasn't she? Uh, because she was in the other night doing some drawings, and she's also got an exhibition at the Rusty Bucket in That's right. Elton. Yeah. yeah, she draws wherever she goes. Ellie Lou. The news. The news. 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 News.
three bits of bad news, mm. or you might, you might say four bits of bad news. Yeah. Um, we've got some closing pubs. The Pigeon in Camberwell is closing, which is the Ansbach and Hobday uh, tap mm-hmm. type of thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a shame for Camberwell. Yeah. Uh, and a slight, I mean, a slight worry for worrying a, uh, running a micropub. Well, uh, yeah. Because uh, they sell their own beer. They, they do. I think they're probably concentrating on that. But, you know, um, you might not understand this, Andy, but it's hard running a pub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, the junction in Loughborough Junction uh, is closing. There is a last-ditch attempt, a beg, if you like, um, to the Isle of Man-registered landlord mm. to continue the lease, but um, we're not sure if that's going to happen. And uh, finally, uh, sadly, the beer shop in Nunhead is also confirmed as closing at the end of the year. Yeah, uh, that's that makes me very sad because they've invested so much into that place. Mm. Not not you know not with, with money necessarily, but like making sure it's a brilliant social space, great beer, and yeah, really sad to see them go. And the Full Nelson has also gone in Deptford. Mm. Um, that was a sister to the waiting room. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's all bad news. And in, uh, and just a little bit more bad news, Brewdog have opened a massive pub in Waterloo. Yeah, I mean, it should be, that should be good news that, that somebody's opened a massive pub, but capacity of 1,775. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to go to a pub with a capacity over 1,000 as a rule. <laughs> I, d- I don't want to have a pint with more than 1,000 people unless it's at a football match or yeah. in a dream. <laughs> But I haven't been, admittedly, but no, not highly to. Uh, no, uh, we won't be going in a hurry. No. Slightly uh, embarrassing, it's in South London. Yeah. Um, there is another one opening, though. The Rosie Hugh is opening in the Elephant Castle. Um, it's a lively hood pub, like uh, Faber and Fox in Crystal Palace. So it means it's sort of booze and grub and sports in a slightly swanky pub, I'd, I'd guess. Mm. Um, but... Faber and Fox is good, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they're open early September, so I'll get in there. And there's one other I noticed, I mean, I don't know how new it is, it's, I think it's a few months old, but I think I had just ignored it because it says on the front, pub slash workspace. Um, so this is Badger Badger on Deptford High Street, around the corner from Hotburns and Black. And I did pop in, actually, because um, apparently they, uh, you can book a table for a, a fiver for the day, um, you know, if you're not going there for booze and food, I think it's a punishment for, for not having having booze. But I, I surprised myself; I quite liked it. You know, the beer was nice, the staff were lovely, uh, interesting food. Got a lot done on the spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> there were quite a lot of laptops open, I must admit, but most of them had at least a half next to them, which suggested, you know, the, the working day's done and they're on the downslide. I think if you're in a place on your laptop with a pint next to you, it's, it's sort of saying, I am open to being interrupted and yeah. having a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just ask, just tell me when you're going out for a spliff. <laughs> Crisp news. Come on. I've got, so Goose has been at it again. I got a parcel the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, this is our Crisp correspondent, of course, from who has moved to uh, Ireland. And, oh boy, has he delivered again. Yeah. He sent too much, but I can't, I can't do the ham on ones, because we haven't got time. But um, the first ones to taste are Keo's blue cheese and caramelised onion flavour. Uh, the blue cheese is from Cashel. Cashel. Mm. Cashel, yeah. Cashel in Ireland, yeah. where... Well, yeah, I do have some relatives. Yeah. Or I did have some relatives from yeah. there in Tipperary, yeah. So um, we'll pass these around a minute, but I'm just going to have a quick one. Yeah, someone unkindly, uh, Mr Celery, I think, uh, said they were... Cheese and onion, but I think. He's <laughs> got a point. He does have a point. <laughs> They're nice, though. That's no, basically cheese and onion. Pass them around. Yeah, this is the the advantage of the live live podcast. The um, immediate feedback. everyone can knows what we're talking about now. Thank you very much to Goose for Keo's blue cheese and caramelised onion flavour. Mm. And now, the moment no one's been waiting for. No. I'm afraid so. Oh my God, it's true. He sent us a packet of something we mentioned in the last podcast. These are Tato's Fizzy Cola 
flavour crisps. As one uh, Irish customer wrote, the worst thing to happen to potatoes in Ireland since the famine. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going in. Uh, when I posted these on Instagram the other day, someone said, I've got a packet from Dublin. Dublin. I'm never going to taste them. <laughs> so you can have them if you like. I thought, no, you're right, we've got our own. I mean, Tato's place in crisp history is, you know, set... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I've just had a whiff of the bag. There we go. <gasps> it's like... <laughs> Drimba Cola Spangles. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, my God. I'm confused. I'm confused. Oh, my God. I don't know what's going on. It's sweet. Sweet as cola. That is absolutely bizarre. That's blown my mind. Potato <laughs> physicolas. <laughs> the look of confusion on the audience's face as they go round. <laughs> um, yeah, that's Tato physicolas, and I'd be very oh happy never God. to have those again. Yeah. Um, in other news, um, am I right to go on to the knickknacks? Yes, I am. Knickknacks. Yeah, let's get off the cola. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that I've got to have a drink. Mm. I've got to get that taste out of my mouth. Mm. <laughs> knickknacks, scampi and lemon, a return uh, after 14 years gap from the market. The intense flavour that screwed up a million faces is returning. Are you a familiar, uh, <laughs> yes. fan of? Yeah, quite yeah. a... Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> somehow they went... I mean, they were better than Coda... I can't get that taste out of my mouth, can't, really. I can't get it out of my mind. <laughs> I might need a hypnotist. In <laughs> <laughs> um, another crisp item I saw, um, something... There was a... Where was this? It's in the Billericay Times, I think, or something like that. Uh, uh, it's a chocolate bar stuffed with crisps. Uh, a woman went viral after creating a unique chocolate bar stuffed with crisps and is set to open her first shop in Billericay. Uh, Maria Antonio, a 47-year-old chocolatier from Essex, divided opinion online after creating the bar of crisps, a chocolate bar filled with crisps. But after seeing her videos on TikTok, uh, she outgrew her bedroom where she was selling the crisps. And now she's uh, taking orders from her shop. She's opening her first store uh, in, a, in a shop she's calling Chocolate Moments in September. The bar of crisps, as it is called, comes in three flavours. Ready salted, cheese and onion and salt and vinegar. Uh, my favourite bit was um, <laughs> when the report said... Maria came up with the idea in lockdown while sitting on the sofa eating crisps and chocolates and binge-watching <laughs> binge box sets. <laughs> it's a very creative time. Yeah, she's a hero. Um, she said she had a light bulb moment about the sweetness of the chocolate cutting through the saltiness of the crisps, which is a bit like what we had with the, uh, the Coke. Oh, don't, no, don't mention them. Don't no. mention them. Um, she couldn't believe that no one had thought of it uh, before. Really? But do you remember uh, last last time, the good Dr. Dick Dixon mm -hmm. on Twitter sent us a picture of Korean chocolate flavoured crisps, didn't he? He did, yeah. I'm just wondering if maybe crisps and chocolate is happening all across the world at the same time, like when we first started fire as humans. <laughs> it's the beginning of the apocalypse, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, if you think that's bad, I've got a couple of crisp horror stories for you. Crisp Horror Story 1, the Metro reports that Sabrina Hussein was happily tucking into a packet of cheese and onion Walker's crisps when she pulled out a deep-fried spider. Oh! It was just hanging off the crisp, she said, cremated, <laughs> but giving me a funny look. It's, <laughs> it's definitely put me off eating crisps for life, but every now and again, I just fancy a bag of cheese and onion. Mm. And that's, that's a sad tale, isn't it? Is it is a sad Because we all know yeah. that urge. And yet she's... Yeah. Uh, Crisp Horror Story 2. Uh, we all probably know about the swarms of jellyfish that have been playing havoc in North European waters this summer and have become a serious source of concern for communities and industries near the coast. And if you're worried about where the story is going, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, I'm afraid so, Benny. Danish researchers have devised a method to turn jellyfish, which are rich in nutrients, 
into crunchy crisps. It does involve dousing them in alcohol. Okay. That gets you back on board. And yeah, researcher Dr. Matthias Clausen said, it's not an unfamiliar taste. It's a big bit like pork scratchings. Oh. I think I'd I have say, to be doused in alcohol <laughs> to eat one of those. Yes. I basically say lies. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so we've had some absolutely mental flavour crisps over the last few episodes. Um, mm. Last last episode, I think we had bubbly and Serrano chili crisps. Yeah, of course the Korean chocolate flavour, bloody jellyfish flavour. Um, I thought this new flavour might be just what we needed. Are you willing, Vinny, to take part in a blind tasting? No. <laughs> <laughs> we need to push straight on to the end of the show then. Uh, <laughs> if, you'd like, if you'd care to close your eyes. Oh dear. Okay. All right. Sounds dangerous. <laughs> Keep the eyes closed and I'll open them. I'm just going to show the audience. Okay. If they're cola, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> <laughs> right. In you go. I'll just take a couple to start with. Just a little bit like ready salted. Congratulations! <laughs> I just thought after all the madness we've been through in the last four months, yeah. we needed to remember where we came from, yeah. who we are. Thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> so we've done pub news, we've done crisp news. Is What's there any that? drug news? There is drug news, thank yes. Thank God for that. Yeah, have you ever heard of Mad Honey? No, but I'll do a half. <laughs> There's a story in Turkey of a bear intoxicated on mad honey that had to be rescued and put onto a, the back of a truck and uh, taken off to, to calm down. Uh, it was off its tits on rhododendron honey. It apparently is hallucinogenic. Come on. Yeah. It's available online. What? Um, but I don't, know, I don't know if you can get it in this country. Certainly several states in America you can get it in because they haven't figured it out figured out what it is yet mm. so um it's still legal i thought it might explain the flight of bees you know there's high as kites and they just believe they can fly <laughs> <laughs> let's get some for the next episode let's yeah i uh, love a bit of drug news so um now on to the news that isn't about pubs beer or drugs and crisps yeah yeah although a bit of a lull yeah uh, it is about partying though <laughs> oh, yeah, my first item is about uh, Finnish uh, Prime Minister Sanna Marin. Uh, yeah. The impossibly young Prime Minister who's criticised for dancing in a leaked video. Yeah. Only believe it. Uh, would you rather have a PM who dances or uh, a self-serving, lying, law-breaking flag shagger? <laughs> you know, it's, it, is, it is a tricky one, but it is up to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mind you, I do recall Theresa May uh, attempting to dance that time. Do you? So that didn't go well, did it? So no. maybe the Finnish right wing do have a point, and all <laughs> dancing should be discouraged. Well, there were lots of video uh, videos on Twitter supporting her, people tagging her in, people dancing, and uh, and then uh, sending it in. And I tried one myself, but apparently it violated standards. We <laughs> <laughs> gone quiet. <laughs> um, you were upset about the loss of a great UK comedian. Yes, actor Bernard Cribbins uh, passed away at the age of 91. Um, he was in all sorts of things, wasn't he? Um, he was in The Last of the Summer Wine, which we, we were compared to at one point. What was the, the, what was the uh, quote? Deserter is like Last of the Summer Wine for the rave generation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that indeed. That was then The Lady. He <laughs> uh, was in the Carry On films and Doctor Who and lots of other stuff. Um, when he was on Doctor Who, he told a joke uh, offset uh, about a door-to-door -door salesman uh, who knocked on a door, and a five-year-old boy opened the door with a large brandy in one hand and a cigar in his mouth. And uh, he was a bit startled by this, and he was like, "Oh, uh, is, is mummy or daddy in?" And he says, "Does it fucking look like it?" <laughs> Very good. <laughs> R.I.P. Bernard. Yeah. 
That reminds me, I have uh, started work on your obituary. <laughs> just, to, just to get ahead of myself, I had a spare <laughs> afternoon. Uh, uh, a man goes into a gourmet burger, but this is this is how it opens. Oh. Obviously, it's quite a glum occasion. Yeah. I, I go, I walk up on the pulpit. A man goes into a gourmet burger bar and orders the gourmet burger. And when it arrives, he opens it and takes out the gherkin because he doesn't like gherkin. <laughs> and he takes out the tomato because he doesn't like tomato. Then he scrapes off the cheese because it's American cheese and he prefers English cheddar. <laughs> I'm laughing at my own jokes here. Then he, then he takes out the bacon because although he likes bacon, he doesn't like it with the burger meat. <laughs> then he takes out the lettuce and he throws it on the floor. <laughs> then he removes the, the bun because it's brioche and he prefers something not quite as sweet. <laughs> then he stabs his burger with his fork and eats it like a meat lollipop. And that's when I realised we were going to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's very touching, mate. Very touching indeed. Um, it's funny you should bring up my, my passing because I've been wondering who I should bequeath the Shirkers rest to. <laughs> it looks like too much work. Yeah, I, ju I just crossed you off the list. <laughs> what else we got? Uh, Liz Truss has been at it again. Oh, uh, leaked audio this time has her stating that British workers lack the graft of foreign counterparts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a terrible thing to cast these aspersions upon our foreign brothers and sisters. Uh, we stand united with them uh, wherever we are, whatever nationality we are. We say again, we don't want your jobs. We just want your money. Quite. Yeah. I mean, compared to Boris Johnson, we're all grafters, aren't we? I'm not sure you are, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps not. Uh, yeah, did you see that thing on uh, was going around saying that in London by 2025 a pint will cost 14 pounds? Let's get on with it. Well, exactly. That's all I can say is best drink it now while you can still afford it. Yeah, I mean it, they're very difficult these things, uh, these these future projections. But uh, yeah, the answer to that must surely be to have another one yeah. in a minute. I mean, yeah, and they're not talking about you know at the rake where you know like a, a dipper with you know mad honey in it. Ooh. Just a regular pint, you know. Yeah. Um, well, linked to that, perhaps, um, there's a Japanese government, government initiative to boost alcohol consumption. Wow. Civilization. Yeah. Uh, it's a national contest which is asking young adults for ideas to revitalize the popularity of alcoholic drinks after a massive fall in the tax revenues, mm. sort of post-coronavirus and a change of habits in the young drinkers. It's funny how they're worried about it now when the, when the coffers get a bit low, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. Do, do you have any ideas uh, you know, for encouraging people to drink more? Best drink it now while you can still afford it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Same exactly. as the last. Tell them it's going to be £14 a pint. Yeah. You are my winner. <laughs> um, I've got uh, one, la one last item as the Catford Literary Festival. Uh, we're, we're, we're playing the Cat Catford Literary Festival and it's now sold out um that's uh, in october but i was thinking you know if you get a few mates together and you get tanked up you could probably rush the fucking gate <laughs> <laughs> they're not they're not set up for these sort of things no these literary festivals. no yeah, security is going to be lax yeah exactly <laughs> so hope to see you all there <laughs> uh, and that's uh, the end of part one we're gonna have a beer and labs break and we'll be back in 10 yeah cheers So we do have a new book out next week, uh, Shirk, Rest and Play, and there may even be a couple of advanced copies left here, which you can pick up behind the bar. Um, but if you haven't pledged for it, uh, we would urge you to order from your local bookshops and mm. support them. Yes, uh, pledges should be getting theirs next week, shouldn't they? That was the other thing I meant to say, yes. Uh, do not uh, be concerned that your books will be sent out from... This week? Yeah, this week and next, I yeah. Think, yeah. Official publishing date is the 1st of September, and they should be with you for then. And um, we're going to do a couple of readings, one now and one later, uh, and Vinny is now going to read a bit from the chapter Leisure. That's correct, yes, under the uh, 
subheading relaxation and the sub subheading the sofa. Come on. Once upon a time, somewhere between the Big Bang and the Chesterfield, there was a world without sofas. People sat upright, alone. If they wanted to pass the nachos, they'd have to get up, sighing at their burden, maybe even swearing. The ancient Romans had their couches or lecti to recline on, while slaves pushed grapes into them. But the grape-slave function wasn't enough to keep the sofa relevant during the Dark Ages. When the Roman Empire declined and fell, sofas went the way of underfloor heating and the vomitorium. But in late 17th century France, a revolution in furniture design occurred. <laughs> Suddenly, seats were made for multiple persons, with upholstery for comfort. Without a division between them, people could now sit next to each other. French people. <laughs> Soon, every Tom, Dick and Henri wanted a sofa. They became a must-have item of the time, replacing the ubiquitous bidet in the affections of the wealthy. People filled their houses with sofas, the loons, as if the armchair never happened. Sofas represented the rebirth of relaxation for a continent ready to put its feet up. Along with the sofa came a new attitude, a freer, lounging kind of vibe. The writer and politician Horace Walpole Walpole gleefully described the experience of reclining on a sofa like lolling in mortal sin, which is all the invitation we need to pay homage to this humble settee. You can understand why it took so long to invent the cathode ray tube or internal combustion engine, but comfortable seating, a species that values the development of the musket over the couch, is one that needs a stern talking to. Sofas went very quickly from something for two or more people to sit on to something for one person to sprawl on. The previously vertical French court became fashionably horizontal to the alarm of uptight, upright traditionalists. Sofas developed further, becoming more comfortable and versatile as humans evolved into slouchers. They became the focus of the home, the place where everything happens. Sex, pizza, everything. The sofa is a truer reflection of the soul than the oft-sighted eye, or less oft-sighted knitwear. Some prefer to retain the formality and elegance of the Jacobean period, living in show-home perfection, unsullied by family life. Others use it to store loose change, foodstuffs and mice. The Dulwich Raider's mother used it to conceal her empties. True. <laughs> the sofa supports all kinds of human activity, and indeed those of other organisms. It's like an ecosystem with cushions. It's a friend that requires nothing in return, unlike many of our friends. <laughs> it, it represents humanity's acceptance that there is something more to life than the daily grind. Not life after death, but life during life. Because for all the awfulness of a day at work, and for all the fun we have going out to play, at some point we will, ha we will have to come home to the sofa. And yet, can there be such a thing as too much comfort? A life on the sofa, like a life at sea, has its hazards. While it's easier to avoid scurvy, the disappointing truth is that a completely sedentary life is not good for you. If only there were a way in which you could relax and exercise at the same time. To, if you will, relax a size. <laughs> and on that cliffhanger, I will leave you. <laughs> Readers' letters. What about another pub quiz? Go for it. Um, yeah, so we didn't do the pub quiz earlier because you were all here and uh, we'd already said where we were. <laughs> um, but there is uh, a pub, one round the corner two named after a politician and three i just mentioned him in that reading or at least his son who's another politician so it's just around the corner if anybody uh, has an idea it's like a real pub quiz isn't it yeah i mean we could do a real pub quiz if we didn't fucking hate him <laughs> <laughs> anyway shall i reveal
reveal. The Walpole. The Horace Walpole. Yeah, it, yeah it was the Horace Walpole, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. At one point, I think. It's now the Walpole, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's named, I think it's Robert, named after Robert, actually, it was, who was his dad and our first Prime Minister. Oh, okay. Um, fine, so if you got that, award yourself one English pint. Um, or if you're here in the room, Vinny will buy you all one English pint. <laughs> <laughs> Just for putting you through that. <laughs> So readers' letters, yeah, we had a couple this month, didn't we? Yeah, uh, we had Annoying. one from uh, a great one from James on homonymous pints. Can you say that again? Homonymous pints. He was yeah. the Dutch apocalyptic painter, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he said, um, "I found myself in uh, Leon C and had a lovely pint in the beer garden at the Crooked Billet." I had to return to London and found myself in the Crooked Billet in Clapton E5, a full Ooh. 35 miles from the previous pint. Inevitably, I wondered if I'd ever previously had a pint in two pubs with the same name on the same day in two different places. Of course, I couldn't remember. <laughs> but it did make me think about similar feats of homonymous pints. Mm. That's... That's a great letter, yes. I mean, we did do um, five railway pubs in a day, didn't we? That's right, yeah. Or well, you and Roxy did. Yeah. Um, I've, there's an Elephant and Castle in Ramsgate, and there's one in the Elephant and Castle that I've done in the same day. Right, oh, well yeah. done, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd like to do some... I'd like to, if you've got any South London ones, do send them in, because you could do the Elephant and Castle and then the Elephant and Castle in the Woolwich, the pub with the reputation. The one we're too scared <laughs> to go in. Yes. <laughs> um... <laughs> Of course, the coach and horses. There's got to be some of those, yeah, isn't there? Yeah. I, I think, uh, was, it, was it James? He was saying that you could do seven of those in a night. <laughs> yeah. And, and not leave Soho. Yeah, and King's Arms, and Blue Posts, of course. But, yeah. but in South London, yeah, there's got to be some King's Arms, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, we got another letter from Cyclo Dunk, uh, a friend of uh, Deserto, saying, Did you know it's actually illegal to be drunk in a pub in the UK? What? The first I've heard of it. Uh, and he points us to a little-known UK statute that states that being drunk in a licensed premises is indeed illegal. Section 12 of the 1872 Licensing Act stipulates that every person found drunk on any licensed premises shall be liable to a penalty, which currently stands at £200. Uh, please do something about it. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but does that ever... I mean, does anybody get... Stopped from drinking in a pub, drunk. James here has uh, stopped a couple of people. He's had to yeah. uh, stop serving a couple of people. One was uh, bumping into customers and annoying people. Oh yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry about that, James. <laughs> that's that's not the man I am. Very often. Um, anyway, thank you for your letter, Cyclo Drunk. Uh, <laughs> drunk. You're a bum dosser. You got any bum dossers? I've got some bum dossers. Yeah. Actually, I've got uh, one key bum dosser yeah. for me. Yeah. Mm. I heard a story the other day about a man who turned down a potentially quite lucrative career mm -hmm. at the BBC for weed. Oh. He had to make a choice between that does ring a bell. BBC or weed. Yes. And, and that man was you. Yes. <laughs> 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 yes, that that is true. Let me tell you the story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got a call from the BBC where they were looking for someone to talk about divorce on the Simon Mayo show, and um, it's not like they wanted a divorce enthusiast exactly, but you know they wanted a bit of balance. They didn't, you know, one somebody saying how sad it is, and they wanted somebody to say, you know, it's actually really good, really positive, you know, and. And uh, I had a dating column the previous year in which my bio said I was a happily divorced man. So they, 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 that's how they found me. Um, and they sent a car to pick me up from the gig I was working at and, um, and then and back and paid me handsomely. Um, and, you know, I was saying, you know, divorce, it's, a, it's, a, it's not an ending but a beginning. Uh, many regret marriage, but uh, who regrets divorce? Uh, I mean, no one says, I got divorced too young. Or, um, or actually, we had reconcilable differences. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I did it, and uh, and uh, yeah, they kept 
ringing me after that saying actually that was that was good you know we could you come on some other shows um and like we've got this show tomorrow night it's nine o'clock in in the evening i was like no i can't do that okay so what about next week at nine o'clock no i can't do that what what are you doing at nine o'clock i'm getting stoned um and so they said um well what about the next day no i'm getting stoned um and we went through the calendar (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it turned out a pattern emerged in which I was getting stoned every night. And that was the end of my BBC radio career. <laughs> only it had been a lunchtime show. Yes, yeah. Then you're on. <laughs> um, and then uh, we've got uh, another nominee for Bomb Dosser. By the way, Bomb Dosser is uh, for non-regular listeners. It's for people that we admire for their utter laziness. Mm. Um, Maggie... Uh, from Ben Nevis. The dog. Yeah. The dog, yes. <laughs> she was. You must give her a name. Yes, she was a Turkish Akbash and she was stretchered down Ben Nevis after refusing to walk any further. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, the uh, the rescue, mountain rescue team was called and they carried her down and gave her chicken stick treats. <laughs> I mean, who says dogs are stupid? <laughs> yeah. She just had enough, so. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well played, Maggie. Yeah, and I wanted to nominate uh, anybody who bought this item. Um, don't know if you know Flying Tiger, the budget Danish gift shop. Uh, they have a self-stirring mug for lazy coffee drinkers. Um, I mean, you still got to make the coffee and put the sugar in, so it's a bit half-assed. Which, but I respect that. Mm. Um, but I'd like to nominate anyone who's bought one. <laughs> okay, there's our three nominations. Mm. Um, I, I'm a bit prejudiced. You really, are. This. You're going to have yeah. to leave the room. I'm, I'm going to have to leave the room, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, mate, but it's got to be you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You are our bum dosser. You're a bum dosser. Uh, is it? <gasps> no. Because <laughs> it says here next is... Is it the social media scene? It's the social media scene. The social media scene. It's very exciting for us. Yeah, we love this bit because we don't actually have to do any work. We just use other people's content. Yeah, read it out, <laughs> steal it, and um, yeah, have a chuckle. Yeah, I saw one on on uh, famous last words. Um, it's a cautionary tale uh, about someone's last words. Uh, most of us don't know when we're going to utter them, of course. Um, mm. But if you're a double murderer and you're about to be executed, you do pretty much know when your last words are going to be. And this guy, Thomas Grasso, his last meal, incidentally, was two dozen steamed mussels, two dozen steamed clams with a wedge of lemon, a double cheeseburger, a half dozen barbecue spare ribs, two strawberry milkshakes, one half of a pumpkin pie with whipped cream, diced strawberries, and he also requested a can of SpaghettiOs with meatballs. His last words were, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. <laughs> So let that be a lesson to us all. <laughs> um, and I saw a, a, a post about um, from West Ham United. They posted a, a, a clip of uh, Paolo Di Canio scoring his goal of the season uh, in 2000 with a simple tweet, genius. And uh, yes, Tom replied to this with a simple tweet, fascist. Um, uh, which prompted a conversation. I was talking to someone about whether the players knew he was a fascist because he did have a tattoo of Mussolini on his back. Um, and I mentioned this to my brother, and he suggested maybe his teammates thought he was a massive Alexi Sale fan. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember, uh, actually, Sale in the, in his young, in the young ones um, ranting about how tough it was looking like Mussolini as a kid. Um, he reckons he was dancing at a disco when he was seven. Uh, when a girl asked him, here, are you Mussolini? <laughs> and he said, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and she nutted him. He said, what? he said, what was that for? He said, that's for the invasion of Crete. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, social media scene things that maybe chuckled. Uh, Julia Fisk's Salt is my first one. Uh, this is a tweet from Julia Fisk. Bloody typical, she tweeted. I found this 250 million year old pink Himalayan sea salt at the back of the larder and it expired in 2019. <laughs> 
And Jason Spacey, I enjoyed saying, um, he tweeted, after 15 years of doing a job I hated, I decided enough was enough. It was now or never if I was to move on and achieve some sort of fulfilment. Taking the step was tough, but I overcame the fear of change and got a new job. Turns out it's fucking shit as well. <laughs> Working is bollocks. <laughs> uh, Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, and then um, a tweet by MarketWatch from some years ago. You, some of you may remember it. Um, by age 35, you should have saved twice your annual salary. Uh, it said uh, it sort of went viral and... Uh, Spunked it, boy. Resurf <laughs> resurfaced... Uh, these retirement experts telling you what to do um, by the time you're 35 and caused a sort of piss-taking outcry amongst millennials, uh, many of whom, of course, are still living at home with no career, no money and no hope. Um, Bob Yankee suggested that by age 35 you should be married, have a career, run on top of a moving train, <laughs> fought on a cable car, blown up a dam, maybe think about kids. <laughs> Andrian thought that perhaps by 35 you should have collected all the Chaos Emeralds and have, <laughs> have half of the Infinity Gems within your grasp, <laughs> say retirement experts. Um, <laughs> Whereas Kate Bowning thought, by 35, you should have three quid in savings, five grand in credit card debt, <laughs> existential dread, a favourite spoon, <laughs> and, <laughs> and one half-dead plant you feel really bad about because your mum keeps asking for grandkids, but you're not ready, and you thought that this basil plant would be a good place to start. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, what, 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 what sort of things would you suggest a 35-year-old uh, should have done? Well, um, have retired at least once. Um, <laughs> had a full-on conversation with an inanimate object high on mushrooms <laughs> and uh, that you've remained friends with since. Uh, got divorced too young. Yeah, reconcilable differences. Yeah. Flown a plane high on mad honey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, become Prime Minister of Finland. Uh -huh. Nice one, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's ruined half of mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine was, I thought you should, uh, by age 35, you should have been to the Blythold Tavern for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Absolutely. I mean, that was an experience. Mm. Uh, I think you should also have slept full length in a disabled toilet at work. LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs> um, Lane by the river with a bottle of champagne in the water tied to your big toe by a length of string. <laughs> uh, four, quit a job at lunchtime on day one. <laughs> Five, get off your tits on Mad Honey. <laughs> we are on, we want that Mad we, Honey. We do, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah next episode. Who's, who's for Mad Honey? <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I hope this item has been of great help to all our 35-year-old listeners. <laughs> Uh, and that's probably all we've got time for, isn't it? It probably is, yes. Uh, I think you're going to do a reading, aren't you? Yeah. Um, should only be a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't find my book. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, I'm going to read something from the new book, um, from the chapter Health and Beauty. Vinny does health, I do beauty. I think that's probably, probably that's obvious. obvious. <laughs> uh, this is about the potato. Uh, the potato. One of the great unspoken scandals of modern times is that the potato is not included in the British government's five-a-day recommendation. Tinned and frozen vegetables count towards it, even parsnips that can so cruelly masquerade as roasties on the plate count towards it. And it's not as though potatoes don't contain plenty of vitamins and fiber. It's as if a deliberate evil has been perpetrated against the spud lovers of Britain by a coalition of joyless civil servants and corrupt scientists. Why would they do such a thing? It could be because potatoes contain toxic compounds known as glycoalkaloids. The concentration of glycoalkaloid in potatoes can poison humans, though as the symptoms include headaches, bowel, bowel irritability and diarrhoea, 
it's often difficult to tell if you've been poisoned or if it's just the morning. <laughs> the answer is more straightforward. It's because they are delicious. <laughs> and we mean really fucking delicious. The point being that if they told us they were good for us, we'd sit around eating them all day, every day, and the economy would grind to a halt like it did in the great oil crisis of the 70s, now thought to be directly linked to the advent of flavoured crisps. <laughs> and they are not just delicious, they are versatile too. You can have them mashed with butter, say, or boiled with butter, <laughs> or baked with butter and cheese. <laughs> you can turn them into the aforementioned crisps. They can be roasted or sautéed or formed into hash browns or pancakes or croquettes or even letters of the alphabet. Try and get Kale to teach you how to spell and see how far you get. <laughs> <laughs> then there are chips. Lovely, wonderful, lovely again, chips. <laughs> the apotheosis of tuber-related culinary offerings. Chips with fish, perhaps. Chips with egg. Chips with two eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Chips in bread with butter again. <laughs> the permutations are endless, even if they are broadly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Chips are our gift to the world, despite being invented in Belgium. And though they may not be deemed to make us healthy, in fact, they do better than that. They make us happy. As a child, forced to live in the countryside by heartless, unthinking parents. The Dulwich Raider had a dream to live somewhere that had a chip shop. No child should have to suffer the nearest chip shop being five miles away, though the NSPCC took a different view <laughs> and ultimately stopped taking his calls. Another recurring daydream of his was the discovery of a magic chip. One perfect specimen that lasted forever. Writing this, it's tempting to conclude that he was simply underfed. Or possibly just simple. <laughs> In consequence, the raider became adept at preparing his own chips. One of the greatest treats you can bestow upon yourself after a morning cocking about on the internet, he prattles, is to spend 15 minutes peeling, slicing and shallow frying a potato in the dripping left over from the weekend's roast. And yet the silence of experts is deafening. <laughs> well, I'm starving. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming, and uh, thanks for very much for listening. Yeah. Let's have a pint. Yeah, let's get paralytic. <laughs> James! <laughs> <laughs>